today on the Travel Guys. In the travel news, California lawmakers set their own path on resort and other junk fees, and Holland America extends a wave season offer for families. Details next in the news. There are a number of consumer protections which will help travelers that you may not be aware of. Mark does a rundown for us in the Smarter Traveler segment coming up at 3.20. Hiking is one of America's favorite recreational activities, and at 3.35 we talk to Joe Yogurst about his new National Geographic book, 100 Trails, 5,000 Ideas. Some airlines have uh, let greed get in the way of families being seated together on flights. And at 350, we talk about why getting families together on a plane is really a benefit to all travelers. The next 56 minutes are designed to make you a smarter traveler the next time you hit the road. Welcome to the Travel Guys. On the road again, I've been everywhere, man. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the uh, Travel and Entertainment Guys. Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano, your hosts. Thanks for coming along. Don't forget now, we're brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. You'll find lots of uh, great information to make you a smarter traveler, as well as links to our special guests on the show and so much more at TravelGuysRadio.com. Thanks for coming along. Nice-looking Sunday. Feeling an awful lot like spring. And if you check with my bride, who is allergy-ridden, uh-huh. you'll uh, she'll tell you, you know, don't go outside. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a shame. People that do have bad allergies uh, in the valley here, uh, you know, you've got all this great weather and so forth. But the pollen can be highly restrictive at times. How about you, Mark? You, with, uh, I used to have allergy horrible guy? allergies when I was a kid, but I have outgrown most of them. But for it's bad news for people who have pollen-related allergies for this year because with all the rain we had, assuming that it rains again in the next 40 years, um, those folks, there's going to be plenty of pollen to go around this spring, that's for sure. But it's a nice day, you know. This is the kind of thing that makes you think of baseball, you know, spring training. And, of course, whenever I think of spring training, I always think of Mark, the baseball fan, and all of the many, many trips that you've taken to spring training with uh, sports leisure vacation travelers, uh, I'm guessing that's on the uh, the docket for this year as well. Yeah, we're going the, the, the 9th of March. We started going to spring training, oh gosh, I don't know, probably 30 years ago at least. Some of our travelers, because we started out doing baseball trips, and some of our travelers said, "Let's go. Why, why not go to spring training? And I said, gosh, I've always wanted to go. So one year I just declared, I'm going. Anybody who wants to go, fine. But if there's <laughs> only a few of us, there were seven the first year. And uh, then the numbers grew. And we take, I, th- I think we've got 21 in our group this year. We have two seats available. If you've ever thought about going to baseball spring training and watching the Giants and the A's for four or five days, why, there is such a thing as that. We stay at a Marriott hotel and go out every day and see a ball game and have baseball speakers and go to fun places to eat and 
Uh, it's really a great trip. Call me at Sports Leisure Vacations, and I'll, I'll tell you about it. There are two seats left. But anyway, yes, they have started working out in Arizona, and soon it, they will be playing baseball, not for keeps, but at least uh, spring training games in another, uh, I think they start next weekend down in, in Arizona. So I am looking forward to that, needless to say. Well, I'm a big sports fan. I Whenever there is a... Uh... Avoid, you know, football's over. Mm-hmm. Basketball's uh, at their uh, at their break for the All Star Game, uh, which is tonight. And uh, you know, I I, I wish baseball would start a little sooner, but I can't wait. Well, all right, keep that in mind. A couple of tickets left, and I bet you you better call Monday if you'd like to to get in on that. Uh, all right, at the top of every Travel Guys radio program, we do our best to bring you up to date on what's been going on in the travel news. And with it, here's Mark Hoffman. Well, we've talked on this program. Uh, if, if you're a regular listener, you know how I feel about nuisance fees and resort fees and all of these garbage fees that have been tacked on to just about everything that we buy these days. And uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg just said he's going to go after them. And the president uh, said in his State of the Union address a couple weeks ago, he even mentioned these fees and how much he was against them. And so we've said several times on the program, you know, just don't talk about doing something. Do something about this. And, of course, you're up against the people who are charging these fees. In many cases, are people who give a lot of money to these politicians. So the reason the fees haven't gone away, I let you guess as to why that might be, why some politicians are not overly excited about getting rid of these is because, the people who support them are some of the people who are making money off of these fees. So that's where we're at right now. We need some folks to step up to the plate. Uh, the attorney general for the state of California, Rob Bonta, uh, along with a couple of senators, have introduced a Senate bill, uh, landmark le- legislation seeking to prohibit in California the practice of hiding mandatory fees. So this is not just about travel junk fees this is about junk fees in general which have spread all over the all over the place but basically um there's three pages here so i'm not going to read it all to you but this is legislation that if approved um by both sides of the legislature here in california and signed by the governor would perhaps do away with some of this garbage, at least in the state of california and dare i say if in california we could get a model that the rest of the country could use uh, and look and say, look, we made this work here. You could make it work there. We might be able to get rid of some of this stuff. And I can tell folks that if you could get rid of resort fees and other just crap fields like going to Hawaii, um, you could probably save between 5 and 10% of the total cost of a vacation. So if your vacation is a couple thousand dollars a person, you're talking about 100 to $200. Now, maybe you don't care about that kind of money. But to me, even if you don't care about it, you should care about the fact that you're literally being cheated out of it. I mean, and and, and most of these resorts and places that have these garbage fees, I mean, airlines adding $35 to your baggage fee after you've already bought the ticket. So now they say, well, how many bags do you want to bring? Oh, well, then there's this extra charge. So by the time you get done, and we're not even talking about spirit and Allegiant and Frontier here, the people who suck you dry every time that you're, you're any time that you're, you've bought a ticket on their airline when everything is a la carte. But we're just talking about regular airlines here and hotels that don't tell you that there's a destination amenity resort, whatever the heck it is, 
uh, fees. So anyway, good luck to Ron Bonta, the attorney general of the state of California, and to the other politicians who are behind this. Uh, we will adopt the wait-and-see attitude, but um, no different wisdom to these guys than to the national folks. Just do something. Don't talk about doing something. Do it. We will get behind you. If, you, if you're really serious yeah. about doing something, then I think you'll have all kinds of support, and you will probably lose a few big donors to your campaign. So decide which is more important to you. Um, well, I, I, I honestly think, Mark, that uh, – there won't be doing away with. There'll be there will be adjustments. Yeah, uh, they'll be small. Uh, it'll be some sort of a token effort. The question is: is can we can 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 we force their hand to do the right thing? Well, or, or at least gonna... force them to. If they're if a hotel is charging you a twenty dollar fee, and and you know, of course, they called it a resort fee, but a lot of hotels are not resorts, and people picked upon that fairly quickly. Um, so they became destination fees and amenity fees and all of this other stuff. If those fees actually, very few of them have anything of real value in them. But if they actually had things of real value, then it would be a little tougher to complain. The other thing is what we're talking about mostly here, Tom, is that these fees have to be disclosed. When you look on the online and you see that a hotel is priced for $159 a night, if they're charging a $15 destination fee or whatever they call it, it should be right there next to the price on the first page the first time the price comes up. So it shouldn't be $159. It should say the room is $159 and we're charging you this fee, so it's $174 plus the taxes. Um, or whatever the additional items are should be right there on the first page so that you can make honest comparisons of the prices. Hotels, it's a free country. We're capitalists. You can charge whatever you want. What we want to know is what you're charging up front, not when, not when we've already hit the button that basically says we'll buy it, and then you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, here's this. Anyway, I could rant on and on <laughs> probably for the whole hour about this because nothing gets under my skin more than and, – and, and sometimes the hotel says, well – you know, what if we just put that into the cost of the room? And I say, then do that. Because in my business, that's what we do. All the things that we have to, that, that cost us money to create a product, we put that in the price of our product. I mean, I think most businesses do that. They don't charge people 85% of what it costs them and then say, oh, by the way, um, here's how we really make our money. So we're going to tack this on. That's just garbage. It's just garbage. It's not legitimate business and it's garbage. And as a traveler, I am tired of it. I, I, I regularly tell hotels to go park it in an alley someplace when they tell me that uh, here's the price and, oh, by the way, for your group is going to pay this uh, destination fee or whatever. Sometimes, though, as a tour operator, I can get it done away with. I can not only get a better rate, but I can tell the hotel that if you're going to charge me that fee, I'm going to go someplace else. And in many cases, hotels will back down or compromise with you on those fees. Just a little secret. Okay, anyway, let's roll on through the rest of the news here. Um, United Airlines is bragging that they have rolled out new complimentary gourmet snacks on the planes. I have well, not I have not been on a United flight yet. Don't get too excited, Tom. The serving size are point a quarter of an ounce of the apple and mango fruit bar, um, three quarters of an ounce bag of a savory snack mix, um, and there's a, about a 100-word description here of the savory snack mix. I won't bore you. Uh, but anyway, they're using uh, – let's see. What's the third item here? There's uh, 
another kind of uh, chip here filled with pro- filled with protein, uh, low in chocolate, uh, low in chocolate, low in calories. Um, anyhow, United is doing some some new snacks on the plane. Yippee! Uh, Holland America Line has extended a wave season offer where kids cruise free. Um, you've heard uh, Gwen talk about wave season. It was a big a big time for those who sell cruises. The cruise line sold a lot of cruises. The offer is extending significant fare risk discounts of up to 30%, free upgrades, reduced deposits. Uh, if you book your voyage by the end of the month, there also are some onboard credits. So if you're a family and you're thinking of doing a cruise with Holland America and you haven't pulled the trigger yet, you got about a week and a half to really get some some special goodies. Um, our friend Joe Brancatelli tells us, uh, sends me an update. And just to remind folks who are traveling to Europe, probably not this, that many folks at this time of the year, but Europe right now is having a lot of uh, random strikes. There was a, a transit strike Friday in Italy. Uh, Lufthansa canceled all of their flights virtually on Friday because of a strike at their hubs at Frankfurt and Munich. Um, labor situations in Europe are a little different than labor situations in the United States. Random strikes like this are not uncommon. They're not frequent, but they're not uncommon. So if you are traveling to Europe, particularly if you're traveling in the next 10 days or so, you definitely want to get on and and ask Google and find out where this is going on. But if you're traveling to Europe ever, these are things that can come up. So this is why you do your homework and you make sure before you go someplace that you know what's going on so that if something like this is brewing in the background, you're thinking, all right, I'm supposed to leave on this day. How am I going to get to the airport? If there's a transportation strike. So some of those things become fairly important. A smart traveler makes sure that they are informed. Southwest has not quite gone the way of Delta, which is going to be giving Wi-Fi for free to folks who are members of their frequent traveler club. But Southwest is adjusting its Wi-Fi pricing um, as of next Tuesday. Currently, the airline charges $8 a day for uh Wi-Fi, and you can use it across multiple flights. However, starting now, Southwest is going to charge, starting the 21st, $8 per flight. So if you have a connecting flight, your Wi-Fi charges for the day will double. Southwest justifies this by saying, we're going to be giving you better service. You'll actually be able to get the Wi-Fi signal on the plane because we are copying the same company that Delta is using to give people Wi-Fi for free. So we'll see. Interesting. Yeah, well, well, you know, uh, the free Wi-Fi or pay for Wi-Fi, it needs to work. And and so oftentimes it works poorly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you saying that they have some new technology? That they do implement to go along with this uh, this this higher price. They're using Viasat, which is what Delta is using, and Delta, of course, is is bragging now that if you're a frequent flyer member on any level, you just have to sign up before you get on the airplane. You can get Wi-Fi for free. So we'll see how long Southwest is able to charge eight slash sixteen dollars for something that Delta gives away for free. United has not, and American have not followed Delta Delta into the free category yet. So they must feel like it's not moving the needle. If they feel like it starts moving the needle and somebody's choosing to buy a $400 ticket on a different airline because the Wi-Fi is free, then you'll probably see a reaction. Um, two Delta Airlines pilot pilots who are a couple um, got to fly their first flight together. They have been uh, they've known each other since they met in 2010 when they were both studying to be pilots at Delta, and now 
They are Brent and Kelly Knobloch had their first flight together. Uh, it would have been a week before last. And so they offered some tips for folks who are thinking about being pilots. Um, and something that some things that kind of kind of run in in the pilot range. If you're a really spontaneous person, um, they say always pack extra snacks. You never know. Think about a traveler, but a pilot, you never know where you're going to end up at the end of the day. So um, he said, bring some extra underwear. She said, pack some extra snacks. Um, and also remember, whatever you pack, you have to carry. Ever been in a cockpit? There's not a whole lot of room up there. Um, they take every opportunity they get when they are laying over someplace. They get off the beaten track, even if it's in a big city, of trying to find someplace, eat someplace, go someplace, do something that they've never done before. And the other thing that they do is take lots of pictures. And she said, you would be surprised the amazing pictures that you can get out of the front plane, front of the window of an airplane. So anyways, congratulations wow. to them. And uh, that's your travel news for today. All right, good stuff. Well, we are the Travel Guys, Mark and Tom, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Travelers uh, are, uh, there are a number of consumer protections which will uh, help us. Uh, all we got to do is be aware of them. Mark's going to help us out with that. Got a lot to cover here in this uh, particular segment, so uh, let's get to it. Mark? Hey, Thomas. Um, yep. When folks are traveling... There are a whole set of rules, some of which we've talked about in this program before and we will we'll mention again today, but things that will help you um, if you get into a situation. And some of them are depends on who you're traveling with and the like. For example, we have talked before on this program about the flat tire rule. Um, the flat tire rule is kind of a uh, – is named after you're headed for the airport and unexpectedly, you have a flat tire and you miss your flight. And you walk, you go up to the counter, and now it's only 15 minutes before departure time, and you said, I had a flat tire, and I'm late, and I've missed my plane. What can you do for me? In some cases, airlines have formal policies as to what they can do for you, and in some cases, they handle it on a case-by-case basis. For example, Delta Airlines doesn't have a flat tire policy, but if you, they say we, each case is handled individually. So you went up to the Delta counter. You'd be at the mercy of the person there, the idea being that they would put you on the next available flight without making an additional charge. American Airlines is the only airline to have an actual printed flat tire policy. United says, well, you know, we kind of try to help people out in those situations, um, and we don't have an actual set policy. The reason they don't have a set policy is because they feel that it would be abused. By people who were just late, you know, and they're, they're, they're showing up at the airport now. They're expecting the airline to cover them. Delta kind of sort of says the same thing. Southwest says we're happy to put you on the next flight um, if we have space, but you will have to pay the difference in fare, which in some cases could be quite a bit. Um, so there's a cruise passenger, Bill of Rights, which is kind of weak. It doesn't cover every situation, but it will cover some so if you're going on a cruise, Google Cruise Passenger Bill of Rights or go to TravelGuysRadio.com. We have a link to that. We also have a link to the flat tire rules um, there. There is, if you're traveling in Europe, there's EU Rule 261. In Europe, if airlines, flights don't go or they lose your bags, things that in this country they get away with for free in Europe, 
they are oftentimes they owe the passenger compensation when things like that happen. So if you're traveling on a European airline to or from Europe or you're traveling within Europe, you may be covered by some of these rules. Rental car companies um, have rules on rep, on being able to, to get you into another car, even if it's with another company, if you don't show up on the flight that they expect you on. Let's say now you've had the flat tire, you're a flight late, you get in, they say, well, gosh, we're out of mid-sized cars here at Hertz, but it uh, looks like our friends at Avis have a mid-sized car, and we will we'll be happy to put you over there. So mm-hmm. there's... So in the, in car rental cases, mm-hmm. it, it, not every company has these things. If you're traveling with Spirit, Allegiant, Frontier on an air flight, you're probably screwed um, because those are companies that, that charge very little, and they're going to charge you for everything. So they'll probably be happy to put you on the next flight, but they're going to charge you whatever the, the full fare is on that particular day. So at TravelGuysRadio.com, we have put some links to some of these things so that you can go and look them up yourself. The other one, of course, is the 24-hour rule that we talk about frequently. If you buy your airline ticket more than at least seven days in advance, you have 24 hours to be able to cancel it without penalty. Anyway, links to all of that stuff is at TravelGuysRadio.com, so you can go there and take a look and see if any of it might apply to you if you have a last-minute emergency or something that keeps you from traveling. Good stuff, good stuff. Is that flat tire thing also a... A car overheated alongside the road, uh, or does it actually have to be a flat tire? Well, and of course, if you can, <laughs> if you can prove that you've had that situation, well, yeah, then you're probably going to get guys, get listeners, I'd like to introduce you to Joe Yogurst. Joe, Joe is okay. a writer, Joe editor, Yogurst. and photographer, uh, and a speaker for National Geographic. We've I- had a couple of their ideas. authors on us. as guests author, with us in the last number of, the of months, and the response has been very good, so we invite Joe to join us. He has... A book, 100 Trails, 5,000 Ideas, all around the 50 states in Canada. Joe, welcome to the Travel Guys. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm uh, glad to be here. Thank you, sir. I will also tell folks up front that a link to Joe's book, where you can get it and where you can get more information on it, can be found at TravelGuysRadio.com. Joe, tell us a little bit. I've got a copy of the book in my hand here. It's a uh, a pretty good-sized book. It's got, what? 500 pages, 400 pages in it? Yeah, 350 pages. A lot of great uh, color photographs, as most National Geographic publications do. Give us a little bit of an an idea of what the contents of this book are. Well, it's um, 100 uh, chapters on 100 different trails in Canada and the U.S. We tried to cover every state and every Canadian province, and we tried to cover everything from short trails that anyone could do to some of the epic uh, trails like the Trans-Canada, the Appalachian, and the Pacific Crest. Wow. So there's there's a variety all across the country here. Is this your first publication? Uh, no, it's not. It's somewhere between my 40th and 50th book for National Geographic. Wow. Um, Before we went on the air, you mentioned that you are a native of California. I am a native of California. I've lived here all of my life except for 14 years when I was overseas in England, Singapore, Hong Kong, and South Africa, working as a journalist or an editor of some sort. How long have you been hiking? 
Well, you know, I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid, like all of us, but I had pretty severe asthma and I hated the hiking part of it, especially the uphill hiking part of it. But um, I kept at it and um, I happened to work uh, two summers of college uh, vacation in Las Vegas. And on my days off, I would uh, drive up to the national parks in Utah and Arizona and I started hiking then and I really liked it and I kind of hiked myself out of having asthma. And it uh, became a, a lifelong passion at that point. Cool story. Cool story. I'm a former scout myself, so I can had a real influence on my life. Grew up with, without a dad in the house, so so scouting became really important to me. And yeah, yeah. there's some scouting adventures. I kind of belong to the troop that uh, that couldn't shoot straight. So some of, <laughs> some of our adventures are not things that you would want to share necessarily with other scouts as examples of, of how to do things. Anyway, I, I, I digress there. Um, Joe, what, what, give us an idea of what your favorite hike looks like. Well, my favorite hike, um, I get asked that a lot. Um, that and what is my favorite country? Those are the two questions I get a lot. Um, I've, Yosemite National Park is the place I've been going to my whole life. My parents say that I was four years old when we first camped there. And it's the place that I started, uh, one of the places I started hiking in college. And I lived in the Bay Area after college for my first job on a sports magazine there. And uh, I would often just take off for a weekend and go hiking in Yosemite. And a couple of my favorites are the John Muir Trail loop that you can do in the high country up there. And the Half Dome hike, you know, the 16 miles from the valley to the top and back down in one day. And that amazing 6,000-foot straight-down view that you get when you hang your chin off of the edge of Half Dome. Wow. Well, you've you've certainly picked um, an awesome place. I've only been to the top of one mountain, a Half Dome-ish sort of kind of thing, Crazy Horse Mountain in South Dakota. Allows oh, okay. limited numbers yeah. of, of mm-hmm. folks up to the top there. If you've uh, if you're willing to pay the freight and you know the right person to ask, um, so <laughs> views views from mountaintops are something that are 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 really exquisite. Joe, in your book, is this a a publication for? And let me just say, you're listening to the Travel Guys. We're talking with Joe Yogurst. Joe is a a writer, editor, and photographer for National Geographic, and we're talking about his book, 100 Trails and 5,000 Ideas, Where to Go, When to Go, What to See, What to Do. Um, Joe, in your book, is this mostly for folks who have been hiking for a while, or are there a variety of, of options available through your book that would allow folks of different ages to be able to make, use this as a resource? Well, it's really an ideas book, um, and it can be used by either novice hikers who are looking for new places to go that are fairly close to them or close to wherever they are going on vacation. Um, and it's for very experienced hikers who maybe have already done the epic hikes like the Grand Canyon and the Appalachians, and they're looking for something new to do. And, uh, there, you know, there's three big epic hikes in the U.S., which is Pacific Crest, Continental Divide through the Rockies, and then the Appalachian Trail. But there's new ones. There's the Pacific Northwest Trail from Montana to Idaho to Washington State and Puget Sound. And there's the North Country Trail from North Dakota all the way through the Great Lakes region to Maine. So they may not know about these other trails, and it gives them something else to to work towards. So it's either for veteran hikers or for novices to get ideas about where they might want to hike and what kind of terrain or weather they want to go through and what's close to them. Joe, if somebody's listening to this and they've they've always thought that they'd like to 
be a hiker, that that's something that they that they would like to do. Can you give in in just a minute or two here? Can you give us a few basics of what someone should do before they set out on their first moderate hike? Well, first and foremost is footwear, um, comfortable but sturdy footwear. You don't have to have hardcore hiking boots that cover your ankle or go up to your knees or whatever, but you should have something that's that's very comfortable, that's not going to give you blisters, but it's also sturdy enough to hold up to walking a lot or hiking a lot um, on any kind of um, terrain, whether it's dirt or gravel um, or rocks or, or cement or a beach, you know, something that's flexible. And uh, that's far and away the most important thing. After that, I always tell people, dress for the weather. It may be sunny and warm this morning, but if you're hiking in the mountains, you could have rain and snow flurries by the middle of the afternoon. So pay attention to the weather reports and dress accordingly, most of the time in layers, which is what I do. And if you get hot, you just take off the windbreaker or the rain jacket and wrap it around your waist or stuff it into your backpack. And um, and if it uh, starts to rain, you have something to put on that you're going to appreciate that you brought along. Um, a couple of other things, of course, is kind of obvious is bring enough water for the hike you're going to do and maybe some snacks to give you a little, you know, energy bars or in the old days, it was always Snickers and Hershey's chocolate. But nowadays it's more like granola and energy bars and, uh, you know, just a snack along the way. If you think you might be out after dark, make sure you have a light source, either a headlamp or a small flashlight that you can pack in your in your little day pack. And something that's new that a lot of people may not know about are uh, hiking and trail apps. You know, my my favorite is All Trails, which I've been using for years, and it has thousands of hikes all over, thousands of trails all over the U.S. and Canada and around the world on it. And it has a map, a real-time map that shows you where you are on that trail. And if you happen to wander up the trail and get lost, it will help you get back to the trail. And it's just a, a wonderful app to have. And it's not the only one. There's probably half a dozen good trail apps, but uh, but the one that I use is um, is All Trails. So, Joe, I was going to ask you, uh, I would imagine that you always recommend that whatever shoe you get, that you wear it, you break it in way ahead oh, of your yeah. first hike. Otherwise, you could find out it was not the right shoe. And the other the question I have is, Joe, I would suspect that you probably recommend that people don't hike alone. Yes, um, I did that a lot in my youth, um, sometimes irresponsibly. But, you know, when you're in your 20s, you think you're immortal and nothing's going to ever happen to you. Um, when I was living in South Africa, I spent a whole week backpacking by myself through the South African bush. And um, even though I told my girlfriend where I was going, nobody else knew and if something had happened to me, I'm sure they would have never found the body. But uh, it's something I would never recommend and I would never, ever do if I had it to do over again. So, yes, please hike with a companion. Um, if you're doing a city hike, a Central Park or Golden Gate Park or whatever it might be, sure, you can go alone. There's enough people around and you're close to, you know, emergency services if you need them. But if you're out anywhere that's even semi-wilderness, definitely hike with a partner or, or a group. Our guest has been Joe Yogerst. Joe has a book, 100 Trails, 5,000 Ideas. It is worth having just for the photography. It's a National Geographic book. You know, we don't talk too much about books these days, but these National Geographic books are so full of incredible photography. Joe has so many places 
all over the continent here that you can uh, that you can visit. Joe, thanks for your time on a weekend, my friend. We'll put a link to Joe's book and some other hiking links at travelguysradio.com. So if you enjoyed the interview, you can go there and find out some more. Thanks, Joe, for joining us on a weekend. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Good luck with your own hikes. Thank you, Joe. Uh, You know, um, hiking alone, I don't even go, like, I I always let people know when I'm going to the grocery store so they (laughs) come and find me and which store I'm going to. I want to make sure they can find the body. In aisle 23, right next to the water. Hiking is really popular. People who are fanatical about hiking, like Joe is, um, his book, first of all, his book is cool if for no other reason than the photographs. Um, I know more and more people are reading things online and stuff, but these national, this isn't the second or third of these National Geographic authors that we've had. And, of course, they send me a copy of the book, so I'm I'm lucky in that I get a copy of it, but the photographs in the book are worth an hour of your time, but he's got all of these amazing, no matter what state of the Union that you're headed to, uh, he's got a place that you can go hiking here. So if you are a fanatical hiker, uh, and that alltrails.com website is also chock full of information. So if you're a hiker, um, there's a man who, who kind of knows his hiking stuff. You probably could pick up some good hints from him. And pretty exciting. I was uh, not surprised when he mentioned that uh, Yosemite was one of his favorite places to hike. Mm-hmm. Of course, being a Californian and so forth, uh, we are we are blessed here in California to uh, to have such beautiful uh, countrysides and mountains and places to go to do hiking and outdoors activities. And uh, of course, it all comes with the. Uh, the price that we, we pay for, for living in California as well. All right, coming up on the Travel Guys, we've talked about hiking. Now let's uh, see if we can make you a smarter traveler in regards to that flying with the family and making sure that we all get to sit together. Mark has some some thoughts on that. Hey, listen, Tom, before we get into our, our subject of the segment here, um, here is something that's kind of swirling around the internet over the last week um it's a it's a story about tipping and it got started this guy went on this rant about things being out of control about going into a fast food restaurant you know and he was put his credit card in and he was asked how much he wanted to tip 10 percent, 15 percent, or 20 well that was you wasn't it no it wasn't me but uh he got upset and he had a he, he was a reporter for the new york times so he went back and put something on his tiktok account and it's exploded all over the place. Um, we've now we now see that there are a number of restaurants around the country. They're adding an automatic not twenty percent but twenty five percent to diners' bills. So they're now a list of these are being is being compiled on the internet. Remember when fifteen percent used to be considered an acceptable gratuity? That was mm-hmm. if you left fifteen percent, you were a pretty nice guy. And then if you left more than that, why well, you were really generous and. You know, if you left 18 or 20 percent, you were a really nice gal if you, you tip that much. And now it's almost be, if you tip less than 20 percent and they've got this new this new method of adding the gratuity. It's actually not new, but it's become more popular recently. When you're presented with the check, the tax has been added into the cost of your meal. So now if your meal was $150 and taxes 9%, well, there's an extra 13 bucks on there, and they're expecting you to tip on that. So add up 20% of $13, and you'll figure it comes to a little over 2 bucks. 
So um, you're, you're, be careful because legitimately 18 to 20% of the pre-tax amount, nobody should be expected to tip on tax. That has nothing to do with what you were served. It has nothing to do with the quality of the service. It is tax. It's a fee the government has imposed on the service that that you or the product that you are purchasing happens not only there but at the hardware store and at walmart and when you buy tires and etc so don't feel like you're obligated to tip on the tax if i get good service in a restaurant i look at the pre-tax bill and i tip 18 to 20 percent um if the service was just spectacular i might go a little bit over that but at 20%, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling like I've done my share. And I don't feel like that I should have to tip the server on the part that the government is extracting from me for the cost of doing business in our society. So anyways, that's my little rant um, about all of this stuff about tipping. This gentleman was basically saying, you know, 20%, 25% in a fast food restaurant? He said, mm-hmm. uh, is, is this a guilt trip or what is the deal here? Right, and that was probably one of those kiosks where you go uh-huh. up and you place your order. You pick the items mm-hmm. that you want. It sends it back to the to the cook and so forth. They take it right off the card. Uh, the only thing they really do is hand you the bag, um, and uh, so I, I don't know. And then they, and then on top of that, there'll be a tip jar at the uh, register where you pick up your food. <laughs> Listen, I have a donut store. I go into. Um... Howard's, I think it's called, up at Coloma and Sunrise once a month and and get a donut. And the service is really good, and the ladies are really nice, and I think a donut is a buck and a half now. And so they smile, and the service is good, and they hand me the 50 cents, and I drop it in a little tip jar. Mm-hmm. And I got no mm-hmm. issue with that at all because they're nice people, and the service is always good, and the product is good, and it's no skin off my patoot to put the two quarters in there. But I, I really don't like this guilt us into – uh, tipping sort of thing. It's like, well, you know, now you if, if it's if it's on the screen in front of you, gosh, you have to press press no tip. You don't want to be that cheap. You want to at least live, leave ten percent. Well, I mean, I'm I'm sorry, but a fast food worker, I can appreciate that you don't make a tremendous amount of money, but I don't see as where you're adding a lot of value or service uh, beyond doing your job. So if I felt that way, why then we if we create a situation where that happens. I'd be happy to tip you. Uh, let's see here. About traveling with families. Probably families about- traveling together. Yes. What we, did, what we said we were going to talk about, it's always good if we get there eventually. Um, <laughs> um, by the way, um, we're talking about all this stuff. If you have a, an issue or a question, anything about travel that you would like to know about, um, you can go to Travel Guys Radio and send us a note. And if it's just a personal situation, why, we'll get back to you right away and try to give you an answer. And if you just have a general question, why, we'll throw it in our – we'll answer you and throw it in our Travel Guys mailbag. So TravelGuysRadio.com. Um, I, I mentioned that I think letting families sit together on airplanes would be good for everybody. If you've ever been in a situation where a family is separated and you're part of it, you know, you've got the aisle seat – and they've got three seats across the aisle, and now the seven-year-old has to sit in the middle seat, and you've got the aisle, and maybe you're, you know, in economy plus, you've paid a little extra for the aisle, you really don't want to sit in a middle seat, but now you're in the middle of a family, and now the family says, gee, you know, would you consider the possibility of 
rearranging yourself and you're thinking, wow, you know, I kind of paid extra to sit here and it's not really my fault your family is separated, but do I want you all climbing over the top of me for the next hour, two hours, three hours, seven hours, or whatever length of time the flight is going to take? So um, if you've been in that situation or the family's behind you and the the nine-year-old is in the seat with you and they're passing electronics and different things and food and stuff back and forth, and, of course, they're getting up out of their seat a lot, and so it's fairly disruptive. It's not going to change your life. No one will die, but it's a pain in the rear end. So why couldn't the airline put those folks all together? You know, I mean, if there if there weren't seats left altogether and they wanted to buy them, why then that's kind of sort of their situation. But if they're in economy or something, it kind of sort of seems like rather than goosing people, which is the reason the airlines, two reasons the airlines say they don't do this. One is that the unwritten thing is, unsaid thing is, we make more money by charging people for seats. So if the family wants to sit together, let them pay. There's no seats, cheap seats in the back. Let them pay an extra 150 bucks a direction per person to sit in the the extra legroom section, and they can all sit together. There, problem solved. Well, except that if you've got a family of four, and it's about a hundred and a quarter for a, for a extra legroom seat to go all the way across the country now, a couple legs, hundred and a quarter back. That's 250 a person times four. Your vacation cost of your vacation just went up a whole lot, and it seems reasonable that not in first class or in upgraded economy sections, but in regular economy sections, it would pay the airline to put the family together so that they could do their thing and the rest of us could do our thing. And then you wouldn't have this uncomfortable situation where somebody gets on and says, gee, you know, would you do this for us? And you don't want to be a turd and not do it. You want to be a nice guy. But then again, you don't want to ruin, sacrifice your trip or give up value for Thomas, you have grandchildren now. You travel sometimes with children. What's your take on this? Well, uh, I haven't traveled with my grandchildren yet. I make them travel alone, <laughs> 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 which, which is another problem in to itself. Yeah. But, you know, uh, all I got to say is Southwest. You know, uh, pick a carrier that, that's going to help accommodate you. Uh, I've traveled with, uh, with my kids uh, from the time that they were very young. Uh, my two daughters and and the wife, and we never had any issues. And if we found that uh, we were in a situation where we needed to ask someone uh, if we could have an extra aisle seat so that, you know, we could all four be in the same row, even if one of us was sitting on the uh, on the other aisle, three and one and one over the on the other aisle, uh, people were usually pretty accommodating. So I think a lot of it uh, has to do with who you fly with. And, uh, and, and, and not only sometimes I think the airline itself, but the kind of people that fly on certain airlines are different as well. I, I, would, I would definitely agree with that. Southwest has a very good system, I think, because what they do is board all the people who have an A boarding pass. So that means that all their frequent flyers and people who paid for the privilege of boarding early – are now all on the plane and are seated. Now the families are going to board. So there's the, 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 some of the premium spots have been taken. The family's probably likely to be past the exit row, but there's there was no question that there will be seats for them to be seated together. So Southwest way of cattle car boarding, as some people call it, of putting you know sets of people, groups of people on at a time, they've created a system where that is not an issue 
on their planes very free uh, most of the time. So anyway, just a thought. Next week, Tom, we're going to have a guest on who talks about that place in Alabama where airline luggage goes to die. For many years, you had to go there personally to buy stuff, but now you can buy it online, other people's stuff that they oh. couldn't get back to them. So that's next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun and, and very informative, too. Final word, Mark. Final word, dance like nobody's watching. All right, my friends, don't forget TravelGuysRadio.com. Check us out, and we'll see you next week right here on The Travel Guys. <laughs> 